Good morning. Uh, morning. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> We're in week 10, week 10 of our Gospel of John series. And this week, as with the last two sermons, we are being given a behind-the-scenes look at one of the most intimate and important moments in Jesus' life. And it's a time referred to as the Last Supper. Now, all four Gospels tell us about the Last Supper, but none of the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, give us as many details about that evening as John does in the Gospel of John. And John must have thought it was important to tell us as much as he could about that evening because he gave a huge portion of his book everything from the first verse of chapter 13 through the end of chapter 17, that's 153 verses are given over to telling us about what happened during Jesus's last meal with his disciples. And I am really glad that John did this because if he hadn't, there would be all sorts of things we wouldn't have known about that evening and things that are really important to our faith and just how we uh, think about Jesus in general as Christians. We wouldn't have known that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. That was something Barry talked about two weeks ago. And we wouldn't have known that Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And all of those verses were only given to us by John in his telling us about the Last Supper. And Barry talked about that stuff last week too. And I can't even imagine not knowing about the things that we read in those 153 verses because without them, we'd have never known any of that stuff. And I'm particularly thankful that John gave us what we find in chapter 17, the passage we're going to be looking at today, because chapter 17 is John's record of the very last words of Jesus before he was arrested and went to the cross. So let's all, let's all turn there. It's John 17. Um, that's on page 898 in the House Bible, but every, it's a long passage, it's a long chapter, and so you're going to need the Bible in front of you. And uh, while you're looking it up, I want to welcome everybody online. We're glad you're with us, uh, glad you're with us this morning. And I want to pray for us before we jump into this passage. But again, it's John chapter 17, we'll start in verse 1. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, I'm so thankful that we have these passages of Scripture, that your Spirit worked in John's heart in some way to have him write these things down, and that you have worked through the church over the centuries to save these words, and that we have them now, and we can hear your heart in your last moments before you went to the cross for us. So I thank you for this. I pray you'll make me disappear and that your spirit will speak through what I say and that this time together will make us deeper followers of you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Now, the entire chapter, uh, every bit of chapter 17 is a heartfelt prayer by Jesus. And it makes sense to me that Jesus would stop and pray at this moment during that evening because in the moments right before he started praying, two things had happened. First, he'd actually been talking about prayer to his disciples. And what he told them was something like this. He said, when you pray, 
If you tell God you are coming in my name, he'll listen. And he'll give you what you're asking for. So from now on, when you pray, use my name. Now, I wish I had a whole hour to talk to you about these verses. These are profoundly important, but I don't have that. So I'll just say this, that this was something different. The disciples never heard this before, that they're to use his name when they talk to God. But the second thing that happened was that the disciples as a group, and this is what happens right at the end of chapter 16 before we get to chapter 17 that I'm going to talk about in a moment. As a group, they said that they understood what he was talking about. They said it straight up. At last, you're speaking plainly and we understand. And I'm here to tell you that that hadn't happened very often. This was all pretty much new for them to say, we understand what you're saying. And my thinking is this. When Jesus realized that they understood what he was saying to them about prayer, he couldn't help but break out into prayer himself. Break out into what I believe really is a thanksgiving prayer. And he was thankful that after three years of teaching them and living with them, the disciples were finally getting it. And the thanksgiving prayer starts in verse 1 of chapter 17, where we read this. After saying all these things, and that's the stuff about the prayer business. After saying all that stuff, Jesus looked up to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. I need to stop for a moment and tell you this. Jewish prayer at the time was done standing up, arms out, eyes open, head, head heavenward, and out loud. Now that's about exactly the opposite of the way that we pray, but this is the way they prayed. And we don't know all the specifics about this evening, but what we do know is that they had been having a very special meal, which meant that they would have been reclining at a low table. Now, I need to tell you about that for a minute. The table would have been about this far off the ground. They're, they actually called them a triclinium, but I don't need to give you all that information. It's like this low table, and everybody would lie down on the floor on their left elbow. So I'm not going to get down on the floor here, but they would be on the floor on their left elbow. The food would be brought and set on the table in front of them, and they'd reach out like this and get the food and eat like this. Okay, so, so you got to picture them, okay? They're all on their left side with their feet backwards, eating like that, all right? Now, to be honest, we don't know if Jesus stood up to pray. But it was his custom, it was Jewish custom that they would. And we are told that he was looking heavenward, and we know that he was talking out loud, or else nobody would have known what he prayed, so he must have been talking out loud. And so it makes sense to me that he was standing there for prayer, and they're all like way down on the floor. Okay, so you got to get that picture in your mind, okay? And boy, did he pray. And to be honest, some people have told me that, that, that what he prays is difficult for them to follow. It's like, and I, I understand that that's true. It's that some of Jesus' words here, when we get into it, it seems a bit disorganized and even confusing right at first. But let's think about the situation for a moment. Jesus knew 
that he was about to be arrested and tried and crucified in about an hour. So we shouldn't be surprised that he wasn't crafting the most beautiful, logical prayer when he got up to pray. It makes perfect sense to me that he would have prayed straight from his gut about the things that were weighing the most heavily on his mind in the heat of that moment. And the first thing that was on his mind, the first thing he wanted to be clear about was he wanted to make certain that he spoke about his relationship with his father. Look what he says. He says, Father, the hour has come. And I just need to stop a second and say, don't think 60 minutes when you see the word hour any place in the Bible. They did not know minutes. Hour meant a section of time, a complete section of time. And so he knew that his hour that he was talking about had come would be the time, that space, that very night when he would be, be betrayed and have a trial and be crucified and die. He knew this. He'd actually been talking to the disciples about it a lot over the last few weeks. If you look at the story of all of this. He's constantly telling, I'm telling them, I'm about to go to Jerusalem and die. He never says crucified, but he says, but be betrayed and have a trial and die. He's been talking about it with them, and he says here, the hour has come. But then he says, glorify your son so that he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. Now, first, we're just going to have to get used to Jesus talking about himself in the third person, okay? He does it, I know it sounds weird, but he does it all the time. He talks about himself in the third person. But with that said, it's interesting what he says here. Notice that he says, my father gave me authority over everyone. And he also says, my father will give eternal life to everyone that has been given to me. Now, these two verses have led to all kinds of scholarly fussing. Some say that even though Jesus has authority over everyone, this is proof that only certain people were given to Jesus by His Father, and that only those certain people will be given eternal life. While others say, well, that's crazy. God gave authority over everyone to Jesus, and so everyone was given to Jesus, and everyone will get eternal life. And boy, do these folks go at it over these two completely opposite understandings of the words from Jesus right here. Well, I'm about to give you the first of many, I think, it's more than I've ever done, of the Tim Ayers thoughts on something. All righty? For what it's worth, just take it for what it's worth because it's coming for me. But in my thinking... I think that John realized that there was a possibility of confusion over what Jesus said here. But he wanted to quote him accurately. And so he carefully quoted him in those first two verses. But then he added what almost every scholar I've ever read says 
is an editorial aside of his own. John said something in verse 3 to try to clear up the problem. By the way, John does this everywhere in this gospel. All the time he'll say something that Jesus said, and then you'll get this thing. He goes, now I'm going to explain it to you. This is what he meant. He does it all the time, and I think that's what he did here. He added verse 3. He says this. In verse 3, look at it. It says, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Now, I know that it reads like Jesus is still praying, but again, that's the way John wrote all of the time. And I got to be honest, Jesus didn't need to tell God how to have eternal life. This reads like somebody explaining it to people that need to know. I firmly believe that John added this verse to tell us that you don't get eternal life because you are one of a small group of people who got, that got picked by God and given to Jesus, and you don't get eternal life simply because Jesus has authority over everyone. The way to eternal life is to know God and to know Jesus, the one God sent. And I think it's kind of like, and that's the end of the story, folks. So, and I wish John had put it in there, but he didn't. I wish he'd have said, so don't fuss about this. Don't do that. I wish he'd have written in there, okay, you get it? How about this, folks? Let's just all be about introducing people to God and to Jesus, the one that God sent to save us. How about just concentrating on that a while? Once you cleared that up, he goes on back with Jesus' prayer in verse 4. He says, I brought you glory. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Now, what Jesus prays here is essentially this. Father, I've done everything you told me to do. Everything. So it's time for you to bring me home. And I can see why Jesus prayed that. He was ready for this hour that was about to happen in just a little while to be done with it so he could get on to the next hour because he knew that the next hour after this hour would be after he was raised from the dead. And in that hour, he'd get to go back home and be with his father. And I can understand him wanting to do that. I can understand him wanting to go back and be with his father in the glory they had together before they made the world. Makes sense to me. Then Jesus begins to pray specifically for his disciples. In fact, the next 14 verses all are a prayer for his disciples. All of them except for Judas, because Judas had already left. He was on his way in the darkness to betray Jesus. And Jesus starts out by telling his father that his disciples are finally getting it. Listen to verse 6. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. The word that gives us kept here means they held on to it. They held on to it. So that means he's saying, that I told them what I was supposed to tell them, and they've actually held on to it. He says, now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message that you gave me. They accepted it, 
and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. It must have been such a relief for Jesus to be able to tell them, to tell his Father about them at this moment. This great news, Father, after three years, they finally understand things. And then Jesus goes on to pray some very specific things for his disciples. And I'm just going to give you a paraphrase of all that he says in the next 11 verses, okay? Jesus asks God to protect his disciples once, they return, once he returns to his Father. And he asks that God will continue to give his disciples joy because the world is going to hate them. And Jesus asks God to make his disciples holy. That means set apart, set apart for special uh, sacred purposes. That's what that word means. Make them holy by teaching them your truth and your word. Teach them about yourself because they still have a lot to learn. Teach them. And finally, he, sa- he asks that God will be with them when they are sent out into the world. And he adds, sent out into the world to be a sacrifice just like I'm about to be a sacrifice. Now, think about this a moment. You're one of the disciples. You're lying down on the floor, okay? You're laying there on your left side. Jesus is standing over you with his arms up like this praying, and you just heard him pray for you. And he prayed that he's going to leave pretty soon and you're going to need protection. And he's prayed that you're going to be hated. And he's prayed that you have a lot to learn. And he's also prayed that you're going to be sent to who knows where and you're going to be a sacrifice. Now, I'm just saying, I'm pretty sure this is why John remembered this prayer pretty well. Because I'm sure all the disciples remembered it because it probably scared them to death. I can see them all looking at each other around on the table going, did you hear what he just said? just as an aside, if you read the book of Acts and you read the letters that some of these disciples wrote, you will find that all of these prayers by Jesus for them in that moment were answered. You'll find that the disciples were protected during dangerous moments, and you'll see them filled with joy in the midst of being hated, and you will see how deeply God revealed the truth of his word to them, and it will be obvious that no matter where God sent them, he was with them, even when they were facing death for following Jesus. And I think it's important for us all to know that God answered that prayer 100%. 100%. He was listening to his son. But Jesus wasn't done praying. He still had some other people to pray for. And it turns out to be us. Those who have, well, just listen to what he says. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, 
as you are in me. Father, I am in you. May they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you love me even before the world began. Can I just say that I think it's pretty telling that right before Jesus goes to the cross, in the moments before he's going to go out into the night and he's going to be betrayed and he's going to be arrested and he's going to be tried and he's going to be condemned and then he's going to be whipped and then he's going to be crucified. He's asking God to do something for us. And the one thing that he asked God to do for us, for those of us who believe because of the message that the disciples took out into the world, was that we would be one, that we will experience such perfect unity that the world can't help but know that God loves them as much as God loves Jesus. Okay, I'm just saying. Last week, Barry talked about the oneness that Jesus was speaking of here, and my suggestion is that if you haven't heard his sermon, you find some time to listen to what he had to say. But all that I can think to say right now at this point is that I know why Jesus prayed this prayer. And I'm unsure this prayer has ever been fully answered like his earlier one about the other disciples. And the the reason isn't because God just doesn't want to answer that prayer. I think the reason that it hasn't been fully answered is that we Christians just haven't generally been on board with this kind of unity. At least not very often. Can I be really honest with you for a minute? This subject about the unity of the church, and I'm talking big C, big C, church, it haunts me. I've been in church leadership for over 40 years, mostly at Grace, but at other churches before Grace even started. And unified has never been a word that I would have used to describe the wider Christian community anywhere I have ever been. There has always been a competition of some sort between congregations. It's like who's winning and who isn't winning kind of thing that's always, it's always going on and it's got almost nothing to do with showing the world that God sent Jesus and that God loves the world as much as he loved Jesus. I'm just saying. Bottom line, the number of people who are attending church or even connected to a church, both here in our community and around the country generally, is shrinking. 
we are not bringing people to Jesus. What's happening is that we're passing fewer and fewer people around. And this grieves me. And I'm sure it grieves Jesus. About all I can say is that I don't want to be a part of the problem, and I don't want us at Grace Church to be a part of the problem. My prayer is that Jesus' prayer will be answered in and through this congregation, that we will, to paraphrase Jesus' prayer here, that we will experience such perfect unity that when those in the world, those that so need the light and life that Jesus offers, when they see us, they will know that God sent Jesus and that He loves them as much as God loves Jesus. And my hope is that we can somehow find a way to help answer Jesus' prayer that we, in every possible way, will be one just as Jesus and His Father are one. It's deep in here. Now, the final words of Jesus' prayer are a bit of a summary of all that He had prayed up to this point. And I can feel Jesus taking a deep breath, pausing for a moment, and then slowly pray in these words. I can hear him. He goes, O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Now, one quick uh, Greek note at this point. If you have a pen, you have my permission to cross out the word disciples in the house Bible. It's not there in the Greek. It simply says this in the Greek. He says, and these know you sent me. And these know you sent me. It doesn't say these disciples. It just says these. Again, and I've been thinking about this. And that's, uh, this is just me, so take it for what it's worth. But I know that God sent Jesus. And I've learned a lot about God by listening to Jesus. And I'm sure a lot of you know that God sent Jesus. And you've learned a lot about God by listening to Jesus. And so I don't see any reason not to count us in the these that Jesus is talking about here. He was praying. He was just praying for us anyway. I don't know why he would change the subject. And what these final words tell me is something that I am certain will resonate with many of you today. Now, I know that much of what John talks about in his gospel is where do you stand, where do you stand with Jesus? And we've said this many times through the series that much of what John has written is intended to make us say whether we're in with Jesus or not. But what John tells us here in the very last words of the last prayer of Jesus before he is betrayed is that Jesus has made a decision as well, that he is all in with us. When he said this to his father, I have revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. 
then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. It was a statement of commitment to you and to me. We are these thems, if you will, and he is all in with us. He said that he would continue to reveal God to us and that he would be, and this is something that is mysterious and I don't understand it fully, but he'll be in us. And what makes it all the more powerful to me is that the Greek here is in a tense that the words in the original language said this, that Jesus was committing from the moment that he said it onward into the future forever, committing to continue both to reveal his Father to us and to be in us in some supernatural way that can be only described as in us. And I think it's important for us to know that. Once we've made a decision to be all in with him, to be a disciple of Jesus, we can rest in the assurance that he has already committed himself through a promise that he made to his Father that he is all in with you. Here is a truth you can hold on to. Jesus has been committed to you since before the moment he set things in motion to create the world. And he will continue to be committed to you for all of eternity future. He has committed to be one with you just as he is with his Father. And guys, I think that's good news. I think that's really good news. It's encouraging and reassuring and life-giving, and it is news that is worth telling the world. It is worth telling the world that in the last moments before Jesus went to the cross, he was thinking about you and me. And he was praying that we would be unified. And he was promising his Father in heaven that he would remain committed to us. He would be faithful to us forever. And he is faithful. He is faithful to that promise to be in us and never let us go. And He has promised to be with us in ways that just shouts out this message that John said was our message earlier in the book. Listen to this message that we are to carry to our very needy world. He said, this is how much God loves the world. He gave His Son his one and only Son. And this is why. So that no one need be defeated by the brokenness of the world. By believing in Him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending His Son merely to point an accusing finger telling the world how bad it was. No, He came to help, to put the world right, again and tell the world that anyone who trusts in Jesus is set free to find new life. And can I just add one more Tim Ayers editorial? I think that message is worth sharing and that message is worth living for and giving our lives to. I am down with that and I pray that we as Grace Church will make that the focus 
of why we exist. I pray that. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this passage. Thank you for the promise of your commitment to us. Thank you for your desire to see us unified. I pray, Lord, that we will be a congregation that together, a community together that speaks out of your love in such ways that the world can't help but know that you love them and that you want to be with them for eternity and share glory with them for all of eternity. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.